Praise the Lord. Matthew chapter 13, it says, verse 10, The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to people in parables? Now, we think we know the answer, right? Makes it simple to understand. That's a lot of times the teaching you get on parables is it makes it simpler to understand. And so that's why he taught in parables. But listen to his answer. He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets. Everybody likes a secret or a mystery, right? The secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been, been given to you, but not to them. So secrets are being given given to people from Jesus, but those secrets aren't for everybody. Other people aren't going to get the secrets unless you understand the parable. Well, wait a minute, I thought the parable was to make it so simple that even a kid can understand it. No, these parables you have to, it's a mystery, it's a secret. It's something you have to apply yourself to to understand And these parables are about heaven. These are the parables, seven parables in Matthew 13 we're going to talk about today. They are the kingdom of heaven is like. So I'm going to make that even a little simpler. I'm going to say heaven is like. Heaven is like. Heaven is like. This is what Jesus is saying. Secrets that not everybody is is able to have from Jesus. Heaven is like this. And anybody here that wants to go to heaven, we had better figure out what the secret is. Because they're contained in Matthew chapter 13. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. Holy Spirit, we need you today. We need your spirit of revelation in this house. I pray for the unction and the power of the Holy Spirit to open up minds, open up hearts, revealing Secrets of the kingdom, mysteries that are hard to understand unless you have the Spirit of God working in this room and in these hearts, Lord. Do it today. Anoint me and give me the power and the unction of the Holy Spirit today. In your name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. Title of my message is The Mystery Parables of Christ. A mystery defined, okay? Something unexplained, unknown, or kept secret, the mystery of life, is a little phrase they gave. Mystery. In fact, later in this parable I'll read, he calls them mysteries or secrets. I mean, like a good mystery. And um, the problem with the mystery is you don't know the answers. You uh, don't have immediate knowledge of what's going on and what's happening in your midst. And so you have to really, what? Investigate. And you have to really closely examine and you have to really think hard. Like, well, wait a minute. You know, if it would have been a stranger in the backyard, the, the dog would have barked. But if the crime were committed by 
somebody they knew, then the dog would not have barked. These are simple, now you're on the edge of your seat. I'll preach my message, you'll fall asleep. But I give you a mystery and everybody's on the edge of their seat. Oh, oh, do tell us. (laughs) Right? Stay with me with the real mystery though. Because Jesus is trying to get the same level of intrigue. The same level of I need to apply all of my mental faculties and I need the help of the Holy Spirit especially or I can't understand heaven. And here's the problem. If I gave a percentage of how many people in our culture, in our country, in our city, in our neighborhood said I am going to heaven, that percentage would be really high. And if I ask how many in our community, in our country, in our community, in our neighborhood, how many are Christian, they say that the percentage is 75%. 2001, about 15 plus years ago, it was 85%. But then when we read the gospel, we begin to see a picture of every town they went to. In fact, this is a group of people that are following Jesus around. In Matthew chapter 1 through chapter 12 is basically a picture of a king who is revealing himself. He's saying, I'm the king of all of the heaven and all of the earth. I'm coming to take my throne. I'm revealing who I am. I am the Messiah. I'm here to fulfill all of these prophecies. And he's revealing himself to a nation. And 1 through 12, every... um, Every studier of the Bible, I'm not going to say scholar because that brings negative connotations. Every person who's worth their salt in studying the Bible will say Matthew 1 through 12 is the presentation of the person they're supposed to be waiting for, the person that is who he said he was going to be, the person that came down from heaven. And through all of these 1 through 12 writings, he's revealing himself. And by the time it gets to 12, the mass of people have rejected him. Totally rejected him. And so when he starts 13, it's a reaction to the rejection of him as the Lord and the King of everything. In fact, they just finish, at the end of 12, uh, he actually does a miracle, and they claim that he did that miracle through Satan, through Beelzebub. And so there's even references to going in the house, out of the house, and there's a lot of uh, significant symbolic things that are happening in the way he's teaching chapter 13 in these parables. And in our communities, 75% believe they're Christians and probably more believe they're going to heaven. Yet when we see the Apostle Paul go to towns that were some were small, some were towns of three to 5,000. Some were towns of a quarter of a million people. Some, one town even had about 500,000 people. And we see the amount of people that are actually believing the gospel and going to heaven with just a small number. Not very many. You'll go to a town like Athens, and he said the whole town was given over to idolatry. And they, you know, go to the town of Philippi, And there was just enough people to meet outside the gate. 
You know, you go to all these great cities and all these great towns, and there's just not many people that have received the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. And I was talking to my boys just this week and my wife, and and we were just talking about, um, about living the Christian life and what it's like at school. And, and, and the conversation very often comes to, Dad, we can't find a single person in the school that seems like they're living the life that we've taught them. They can't hardly find a, a young person in their entire school, and I don't know if that's true or not. But they can't hardly find one that doesn't uh, speak with profanity or honoriness or one that doesn't uh, drink and party on the weekends, one that doesn't um, have a vape all day long at school, or not one that actually follows the teachings of Christ and lives the life that God has called them out to live separated from the world. And they say, well, Dad, we just can't find anybody. And there's a real crisis of just trying to find other people that live that life. And so I ask you, the Bible says, wide is the way that leads to destruction. Many there be that find it. Narrow is the road that leads to life. Few there be that find it. And so everywhere you look in the Bible, the the, the message is always the same. There's not very many people that are actually going to heaven. And I challenge anybody here to tell me where it says different in there. And Jesus is saying, I'm giving you secrets and a mystery. And if you don't get a hold of this through the Holy Spirit, there is no heaven. Heaven is a privilege. Heaven is something that's a gift. Heaven is something that is an inheritance. Heaven is not something that everybody just automatically has. It's a gift that was purchased with a great price. It's a gift that is offered to all. It is a gift that's offered without cost, but is not a gift that is yours. Um, It's not something you just have. And a lot of times, not only do we think we just have it, and God doesn't expect anything out of our lives at all as far as our, our life and our, the way we behave, but we even um, take it for granted what we don't have. Think about that. There's a lot in that statement. We take for granted what we don't even have. Like, yeah, I don't actually really have a relationship with the Lord in heaven, But I think I have it, and I take it for granted that I have it, even though I don't have it. Am I telling the truth here? I know that's a strange statement, and that's not in the Bible, but that's 75% of our country believes they're Christians, and that delusion is in their head right now. And so in these parables, you're going to find as I get into them, we have to retrain our mind on heaven. Because we've been taught a certain thing about heaven, and that teaching was not necessarily directly from heaven. Maybe parts of it were from heaven, and other parts of it were corrupted. Do you think it's possible that teachings that come from heaven and come to us can be corrupted? And our mind can believe delusional things? 
And this is what Jesus is going to address in these parables. He gradually builds, and they're all interconnected. And I would say most of the times you've ever studied these seven parables in Matthew 13, they've been disconnected. And that's fine. They can be taught as individual uh, pieces, and they're very valuable to have as those individual pieces. But if you look at one parable as a certain color of thread, and another parable as another color of thread, and each one have all different colors of a thread, and you see how he weaves it all together to tell us what heaven is like, and you can stand back and look at what he made with it, it's really valuable. And so I want to look at these parables in that way today. I want to take the green strand, I want to take the blue strand, I want to take the red strand, the yellow strand, and I'm going to make something more beautiful than the shirt I'm wearing today. And you know it's beautiful. For a person that always wears a black shirt, it's a beautiful shirt. Let's just get that out of the way. I know that's uh, weighing heavy on a lot of you. <laughs> he starts off with what is what would be called the foundational parable. It's the foundation, and it's almost a key for interpretation. It's a foundation of what he's going to talk about here. This is the one that he doesn't necessarily say the kingdom is like, but then when they ask him why he speaks in parables, he says, I say this to tell you what the kingdom is like. The other ones he starts with the kingdom is like, right? So it says, the same day, now it's very important, they don't just put things here, Just to put it there, that same day is important because they're transitioning from, they think his power comes from Beelzebub, and they've completely rejected him as far as the religious leaders of the day. They've rejected him. They've rejected his ministry. They've put to death his forerunner, which was John the Baptist, and these are all critical elements. They've rejected his ministry. And even his family is outside of the house, And he makes a statement that most that study the Bible believe is is, um, symbolic. His family is outside the house and say, hey, come out to us. Your family is out there waiting for you. And he said, who is my family? But the ones that do the will of the Father. And so what he's saying is, this message is going to those who will do the will of the Father My own people have rejected me. He's not saying his family rejected him. He's just transitioning that same day from the ones who rejected him to the ones who uh, he wants to receive it. Okay, and that might be Jews, it might be Gentiles, it might be Greeks, might be men, might be women, might be slave, might be free. Everybody in the world that will receive the kingdom of heaven, this is who he's speaking to now. And so if we want to make heaven our home, if we want heaven to be a reality for us and our children and our families, listen to me very carefully. These are mysteries. These are secrets. If we want a legitimate gift of heaven, we have to apply ourselves to these mysteries. We have to understand the mysteries. And you say, well, how do you know? You have to understand it to get it because the first parable begins to say that. Listen to this. 
The same day, here's the transition, he went out of the house, sat by the lake, and such large crowds gathered around him, he got into a boat and sat in it. While the people stood on the shore, he told them many things in parables. He said, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell among the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, but because the soil was shallow, when the sun came up, the plant was scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred sixty or thirty times uh, what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Now, do you think that he had a whole crowd of people without ears? This is really miraculous. Everybody has the same deformity. Not a person in the whole large crowd had an ear. What he's saying very clearly is, most won't hear this. But if the Spirit allows you to hear it, take heed to it. If you hear it today, don't forget it. And he goes on. Disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to this people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have it in abundance. Whoever does not have it, even when they... What they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear or understand, in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, you will ever be hearing but never understand. You will ever see and never perceive. Now listen to me very carefully. You say, these poor people, why is Jesus concealing heaven from them? Why can they not go to heaven? Why... Do this one group, why are they this elitist group that gets to go to heaven and the other ones don't? Well, it's the same reason why a detective can or can't solve a mystery. Right? Look at the next verse. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, and oh, I'm sorry, with the next verse. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly even hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. All right, let's solve the mystery. You understand you can get to the point where you close your eyes? The people that just rejected him closed their eyes. They didn't want to hear about heaven. They didn't want to hear what it took to go to heaven. They didn't want to know about this king of heaven. Do you understand? This world that we live in, there's a large percentage of these crowds that are in our churches, in our country, in our communities, in our homes. They close their eyes. They put their hands over their eyes and they say, I don't want to see. How many know those are eyes that can't see? And by the same reference, their hands are on their ears. They have ears, but why can't they hear? Because their hands are over their ears. There's something that's affecting their ability to receive. So he's going to tell the seven parables, this being the first of the seven, to explain to them 
the phenomena of what's happening. Why are they closing their ears? Why are their hands over their ears? Why are their hands over their eyes? Why can't they solve the mystery of this simple parable? And he begins to come up with some symbols here. And doing it as a whole is helpful because the symbols uh, stay the same all the way through the parables. It's a whole piece here he's doing. And if you break it up, you don't always see the pieces come together like that. So he has a picture of a sower. And the sower... He is the farmer of the sower. Now I want you to think about in those periods of time how they did it. They didn't have a giant... Um, um, uh, they didn't have a giant machine with a GPS that plows their field, drops the seed in precisely, and then just keeps moving with a GPS all around the field, okay? And they just sit there drinking something to listen to the radio, right? That's what they do now. Their feet are propped up and the GPS does most of it, okay? I've watched them. But back then they just began to sow seed. So there's a farmer that's sowing seed here. And one thing you have to begin to recognize, the one that's throwing the seed everywhere, it's being broadcast in a lot of places. And Jesus is very clearly saying, I'm the farmer. Jesus is the farmer. He's the sower of the seed. And what is the seed? The kingdom of heaven. Heaven is like the seed. So if that seed has an ability to find a place in your life, it'll grow into eternal life. If it finds a place, listen to me, this is a mystery. It'll grow into eternal life. So what value is that seed? If I don't have the seed that Jesus is broadcasting through the whole world, this is what he's saying. His people rejected him. Now I'm broadcasting this good news. What's the good news? Oh, I don't know you get to live forever without tears, without crying, without sorrow, without death, without fear, without all of these things. I'm going to live forever in the presence of God. Well, everybody gets to do that. That's nothing new. Nobody gets it. The Bible says in John 1.12, but as many as receive to them gave he power become the sons of God. So only the ones who receive this good news, has there ever been better news? But doesn't everybody get it? I've already established that. Read your Bible. But he's broadcasting it all over the whole world. He's throwing that seed everywhere through missionaries, through dads, through moms, through pastors, And if you reject that seed and it doesn't find a place in your heart, there's no heaven. These are parables and mysteries about heaven. So he says, now the seed, where does the seed land? Soil. Soil is your heart. And guess who is responsible for the conditions that the seed lands on? I am responsible. You are responsible. If this gospel of the good news doesn't have an ability to grow in you, it's because you didn't prepare your heart properly. And he says, well, this seed will land 
And look, and he and he gives an explanation of the parable he just gave. He says, "Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anybody hears the message about the kingdom of heaven and does not understand it, remember what I said a while ago. You have to apply yourself and understand it, because if you don't understand it, you can't find heaven." He says the message is the gospel going out, the good news about the kingdom of heaven. And if you don't understand it, that means it's not going to find a place in your heart. Because you didn't apply yourself. Your hands are here and here. And because I don't understand it, I can't have eternal life. Because here's what's going to happen. If I don't understand it, it says... The evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in your heart. So the evil one, there's a basis here, and you'll see it in the next one. It's birds eating the seed. So if you receive the gospel, which you've been receiving your whole life, it's a term they used hundreds of years ago. You don't hear it much anymore, but it's called provenient grace. It means in advance, grace has been put in your heart over and over and over and over again, but it keeps getting eaten out. It never has a chance to grow in you. And so the evil one, he's setting a foundation here. Satan and his principalities, they're going to be actively trying to make sure it does not grow. And you say, well, man, I better look out for that at school because there's going to be Demons in my hallways. Demons in my home. Demons in my church. No, there will be people that have a message that's different than his message. His message is good news. His message is hope. His message is eternal life. And the birds that are going to be taking them are ideals that are contrary to his gospel. They're going to be ideals such as Here's the biggest one. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. That's not the message of the good news. The good news is we live forever. Live for him today because we're going to live forever and be joyful no matter what you go through. But they say, eat, drink, be merry. Do as everybody else does. When in Rome, do as the Romans. Live the life that's going to be full now. Live it up. Live it up. I can't even drink a Mountain Dew without hearing the message of the enemy. Live it up. Have fun. Do whatever you want. Don't worry about God. And the enemy through ideals is snatching the kingdom of heaven right out of your heart. You say, you mean I'm giving up heaven because I'm receiving that? Well, we didn't talk about a second seed yet. That's the next parable. Right now we're talking about the one good seed that keeps being pulled out. Pulled it out. Pulled it out. You'll never have heaven. Because the enemy keeps taking the seed that needs to grow. Have you ever had a prize plant? I guess I'm a nerd. I've had a prize plant before. I've had plants that I'm like, oh man, can't wait to put it in the ground. And it's got to grow. And you know, I've, some of you have done it from seed. You put that seed in and every day the seed pop up yet. You know the exact amount of time it needs to germinate. Come on now, any other nerds in the house, get, get rowdy. All right. No, okay. You put that seed in the ground, you're waiting for it to germinate, you're making sure there's no competition, and then finally, boom, a little blade pops up. Oh, boy. And I actually will tell my girls, we'll drive around the yard, and I'll 
I'll point out the trees and I'll say, you know who that tree's dad is? Because it'll be 20 feet high and a couple willow trees. I'll say, you know who's dad? Those trees? And I said, I planted those. And then I'll go look at some other trees and I'll say, yeah, those are my babies too. Some of them are 20 feet high now. And I, Anyway, let me go on. But, you, you know. But in order for us to inherit, and I'm still talking on the same subject, easy beliefism versus lordship salvation. The gospel has to find a place in your heart. It has to be protected, right, Sean? It has to be protected. And it has to grow if we want to have heaven. If we want to have heaven, it's got to grow and it can't die. I've seen them die before. I've seen them plucked out before. In fact, I went through my driveway the other day and I seen a whole planter and plant sitting on my driveway taken by a filthy dog. He's a good dog. Just made it sound better. But you know the enemy wants that not to grow. But it has to grow for eternal life. Our walk has to grow. And and the way this parable begins to move along is, the bird's trying to steal it, but the next one is, Jesus says, then there's a seed that's sown along the path. The first one, okay, there's one that's sown on the, Along the path, the seed falls on rocky ground, and that refers to someone who hears the word at once and receives it with joy. This is no amateur here. This person heard the gospel, they even said the prayer, and joyfully walked out of our house. But that's the one that was on rocky ground, and the reason it was rocky ground is because when they walked out, there was never time for the root to grow. You never, your heart was never prepared to let it grow in you. You understand? No root in it. And so he says, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. What's going to happen? Is the bird going to get them? No. When trouble and persecution come because of the word, they quickly fall away. If you don't have any root in you, what's going to happen? Hard times are going to come. And you got a little plant there that's going to bring you to heaven. That plant's going to grow and it's going to produce eternal life. By the way, in Revelation, what's lined up on either side of the bank? Tree of life. (laughs) it's like a tree of life growing inside of you. It can't die. Your faith can't die. Your faith can't be shallow. Your faith must be planted in deep roots in your heart, and that means, God, do in me whatever you want to do. Whatever I have to go through, whatever I have to struggle with, whoever laughs at me, whoever persecutes me because of the word, My roots are deep here, God. Don't just take the prayer with joy and walk out of this house and don't let God do something in you. But God, you were going to give me the best of everything. That's how we think in the 75% in America. Health, wealth, 
God loves you. God wants to take care of you. But God isn't your um, fairy godmother. God isn't your Santa Claus in the sky. I'm so hurt because God didn't give me this and God didn't give me that. You don't have a root. I'm just being honest. You don't have a root. How do I make my plants grow? And I better find out because I love that plant. I want it to grow. Fertilizer. What is fertilizer? That's what this book's telling me. Fertilizer. Anything that had life and has died is what we call fertilizer. Some of you don't get it because your ears, I got a room of earless people because nobody said amen. There's going to be things in your life that are going to die. You say, man, there's a big party going. I want to be at the party. That'd be pretty good fertilizer. Because of the word, there's things I don't do anymore that I used to do. And the Holy Spirit said, no, let him die. Let the old man die completely. Well, that sounds to me like what we would call fertilizer. That plant will grow deep roots and grow healthy if you give it a little fertilizer. Your beautiful plant's going to keep growing to eternal life. And he said, this particular plant, in fact, i got to go through the other ones. Seed falling among the thorns refers to the person who hears it, but the worries of life, mm. you say, well, I'm a mature Christian, but that one kind of hit me. I've been so preoccupied with the worries of life. What's the worries of life? My budget, my job, doing this, doing that, doing this, doing that. The worries of life, deceitfulness of wealth, ooh, Deceitfulness of wealth. We've got too many things in America, don't we? Choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed that fell on the right soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop of fruit. So there it is. God wants it to grow in us, and when he sees fruit, Year after year after year, he knows it's growing right. He knows the plant's taken care of, and and you can see that that's a plant that's growing into heaven. You understand, these are all about the kingdom of heaven. These are all mysteries about the kingdom of heaven. This is going from easy beliefism to lordship salvation. That, Lord, you are the Lord of my life, and I'm going to protect that plant that's inside of me with everything I have. Then he goes and he begins to tell the second parable. This might be a long sermon, I'm sorry. But as long as I'm unraveling mysteries, I might as well take my time. All right? Number two. The weed parable. Some of you are like, well, finally he's preaching about weed. It's not that weed. And I'm opposed to it. Gives me a good opportunity. I'm very opposed to marijuana. Okay, very opposed. In fact, I hate that drug. So I can move on now to this parable. I always have an, I like to have an opportunity to tell you it's wrong. You say, well, you don't know anything about it. So I can preach on it. I grew up around it. It was in my home, my family. It's a terrible drug. It's wrong drug. And you say, well, why do you say that? Because people in here think it's right. 
And I don't like that drug. If you have any questions about it, me growing up under it in my home, ask me after the service because I love you. I don't want to see you get sidetracked with weed. How many can say amen? Amen. All right. Parable of the weeds. Jesus told another parable. Kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in a field. Here's the field again. The field is the world always. The field is always the world. First field was a good seed that needs to grow into eternal life. This is another one about the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in a field. So this is the same good seed as the first parable. Good seed, right? Who's the sower? Jesus is the sower. The field is the world. He's putting this good gospel that grows up into heaven into your life. If you're mad at me about the weed still, get over it. Just get over it. I'm going to say the same thing every time. Just, just get, we, we, we have different opinions on weed, okay? That's okay. Just keep listening, please. All right? <clears throat> the sower is the Lord. The field is the world. The good seed is heaven in your life. I'm going to actually inherit heaven. I'm going to actually go to heaven. It's, it's, it's something that's a reality in my life. Well, listen to this. While everyone was sleeping, now who is not sleeping here? The farmer. Doesn't say while the farmer slept. A lot of people think the farmer was sleeping. But he makes a point of saying everyone else is sleeping. Not the farmer, not the sower. Jesus isn't sleeping here. But while we slept, while we weren't paying attention, while we were allowing things to go on around us, somebody else came in and planted some seeds. So now there's a presentation of two seeds, not just the good one. It says, while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat, went away when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came out and said to him, Sir, did you sow good seeds in the field? Where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up make and uproot, them, uproot the wheat with them? Let's both grow together until the harvest. At that time I will tell the harvesters, First collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into the barn. Heaven is like two seeds, a good one and a bad one. So, God has planted eternal life into our hearts, but all around us, the enemy is planting his seed. And I already told you, that seed is a whole different message other than heaven. It's a message of eat, drink, and be merry. It's a message about weed. It's about a message about weed being burned up. <laughs> I'm still on it. I'm sorry. I couldn't resist it. But judgment. He's saying that judgment is not going to happen now. They're going to grow up together and judgment will come at the end of this age. And you'll look around and you'll say, man, there's two messages in this world. Nobody's living like I am. Nobody's living the Christian life around me. Nobody is living for the Lord. Nobody's being obedient to the Lord. Why am I even doing this? Because look, they're blessed or they're not receiving judgment. Now what happened right now if somebody did something evil and 
judgment. It's like evil. Well, number one, there'd be nobody left. We'd all be gone. But what he's saying is we're going to grow up together and they're going to look the same. The tear or the darnell or the weed there looks just like the Christian. I see a field of 75% Christians. And they look the same. That was the problem with the tear. They looked like the wheat. They looked exactly the same. There were a few little differences. You could tell when the wind blew because the weeds would stay straight up and they were proud. I mean, proud and would never bow. The wheat would just fall in the wind. So when the wind blew across the wheat field, you could see what was the tares and what was the wheat. And you know, same thing happens with believers. Some bow to the Lord, serve the Lord, live for the Lord, and others, wind will blow and they're as proud as they can be. But He promises there's going to come a day that only the ones that have the true seed are going to see heaven. The ones that have the false seed are going to say, Lord, Lord, can I come in? And He's going to say, I never knew you. But Lord, we did this in your name. We did that in your name. We did this in your name. He's going to say, I don't know you. You're not the seed. You're not the one that bows in my presence. You're not the one that served me. Heaven is a mystery. And if you have ears to hear, don't shut your eyes and don't shut your ears. Because he's saying there's a good seed and there's a bad seed. And not everybody is going to heaven. Parable 3. The mustard seed in the tree. The parable of the mustard seed. He said he told another parable. Kingdom of heaven is like. There it is again. Heaven is like a mustard seed. When a man took and planted it in his field. The field is the world again, right? He's keeping all these consistent. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Remember, if you keep this as one piece, all of the themes are the same. Very easy to interpret. Mustard seed in another story in the Bible means um, faith. Like uh, faith is small like a mustard seed, but it'll be giant in your life. It'll do things you never believed could happen, right? But here, it's not talking about the faith necessarily. It's part of it, but it's actually talking about how big this plant grows that God has put in your heart. Okay? This is more talking about the mustard tree because what lodges in its branches? Birds. What is the symbol of the bird in these stories? The enemy. So this is a plant that's begun to grow. And this is a parable all about your influence in life. Like I became a strong tree, so strong in the Lord that the birds are living in my limbs making their home. And so what this is saying is the plant survived. The little seed of faith that God put in you is growing And it's growing into the kingdom of heaven. It's growing into eternal life. But you became so strong and had so much influence that now you're influencing the world around you. This is both the individual and the church. Now the birds 
are trying to influence you. Do you understand what he's trying to say here? In fact, he backs it up with another one after just to make sure you get the message. This is talking about your influence being corrupted by the birds. People are going to come under your shelter to hide from the sun. People are going to come to you. You're influential in the world. You're a mom. You're a dad. You're a church in this community. And the enemy wants to influence you. The enemy wants to wreak havoc in high places. The enemy wants to branch, be on your branches. And how many have ever noticed people that have lived for the Lord, grown in the Lord, been strong in the Lord, and then as they grow older, the enemy begins to influence how they live, how they believe, how they talk to their kids, how they talk to people at work, and you can totally, totally get sidetracked as you become an older Christian. Churches that started off right can begin to let the enemy creep in their churches. Let me know that's true. And Jesus saying, protect it as much when it's mature as you did when it was small. This is protecting your influence in the world because God wants you to influence the world for Him. God wants you to be planting more seeds. Have you ever had a mature tree? That Man, I can't keep up with this tree. This tree's sending shoots out all over the place. How many have ever had a tree like that? Just little, nobody's ever had a tree like that. Nobody? All right, there we go. I need some volunteers. I just want to make sure everybody knows I'm not lying. <laughs> There's some trees that they just keep dropping seeds everywhere. And you can't keep up with it because there's so many of those little shoots are popping up in the ground everywhere. And that's what God wants you to be. God wants you to be so influential that, man, you're, you're planting seeds everywhere and helping protect it and helping it grow. And, and you can't do that if the enemy's got a hold of you. You can't do that if the enemy's in your branches influencing you in your life. We need you to be strong, still growing, still putting out seeds, putting out shoots all over the place. Then he backs it up with another one, the story of the yeast. And I'm going to go a little faster. I'm not going to read. I'll read it. I'm going to read it. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like, there is again, heaven is like this. It's like yeast that a woman took and mixed with 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. In fact, some of your versions say, I think, three measures. Three measures would make an ephah. And this is what they would use to dedicate it to the Lord. But the only difference is it was to be dedicated to the Lord without yeast. No leaven. And so this is a story that they would understand that she baked three measures to make an ephah, to make a cake, and it symbolizes the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in Leviticus chapter 2. So it says she baked this cake. She was doing really well. She was uh, living this life for God, but then all of a sudden, and it's symbolic that it's a woman, because it's, it's referring to the fact that in the last days there will be a great harlot, In the last days, the church will be corrupted in doctrine, and there will be a false prophet. And it's talking about the corruption of what we speak and how we live. It talks about all the corruptible religion from the beginning of time until the end of Revelation. And what he's saying is she added leaven 
to this offering, and now it's full of leaven. Now contrast that with the rest of the teaching, it's about heaven. It's saying that here we are, a mature tree that has influence in the world, but the fowl are corrupting it. And then he's saying the kingdom of heaven was in a perfect offering you were given to the Lord, but now she put leaven in it. And now, look what it's doing. And the whole world is full of leaven. And Jesus is saying, be careful. He's saying heaven, and I said that there are a lot of people that are misinformed about heaven. I want you to think about this morning all across America with the 75%. They're in churches where they're not really telling them exactly how to get to heaven. This is the woman that put the yeast in and the whole lump became full of leaven, which the Bible always indicates is sin. That means be careful unless your churches be places that offer sacrifices to God that are full of leaven. Be careful unless your church that has influence has the nesting of the fowl in it. Be careful, church. When you begin to pull up churches that are supporting the LGBT movement, and don't say he didn't say that. I did say it. Then you produce the cake to give to the Lord that's full of leaven. Well, you don't love LGBT. No, I don't like the movement. I agree. You're homophobic. Yes, I am. Quit calling me names. I am afraid, homophobic means you fear that. I fear what that leaven is doing to our young men and our young women. I fear what it's doing to our identity as real men and real women. I fear the amount of, um, um, the amount of perversion that it's injecting into our society and injecting, get this, into our churches. I fear that God says those that do those things, drugs, alcohol, homosexuality, adultery, fornication, pornography, do those things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And I fear when the message coming from our pulpits is a little leaven to mix with this sacrifice. You say, well, you don't love people if you preach that. I don't love them if I don't preach it. Because I'm not going to preach a message that's full of leaven. I'm not going to preach a message of influence in the church where the foul is affecting my mind and the foul is affecting my message because nobody will ever be delivered from homosexuality if your message is full of leaven and the foul is in your head. These messages are critical for the church. Now everybody's mad at me. And I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. I'm sorry you're mad. I'm not sorry about the message. Now I'm going to close with a couple here. As you follow this, there's a lot of misconceptions about how to teach this. This is the story about the treasure in the field and the pearl. Kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. A man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. 
Now, a lot of times when we teach this, and I'm not opposed to this teaching, we're looking for a treasure that we found. And the ideal is, back in those days, they didn't have banks or safety deposit boxes or safes. All they could do was take their treasure and bury it in the ground. We're not too far removed from that. You know, you may have a great-grandmother or somebody that still buries things in the dirt. It was a very common thing in the last couple hundred years. You just would remember where you buried it and go back and find it, and nobody would know it was there, so it was safe. And so the ideal is some man is working in a field as a worker. Maybe he doesn't have a lot of money, and as he's working the ground, oh boy, look what I found. <laughs> Somebody's treasure, maybe they died or went off to war or, or, or whatever happened, it was just left there and nobody claimed it. It's unclaimed material. So the rules were if you found it and you buried it and you bought the land, it was yours. You pulled it up out of the ground, it was whoever owned the land's. So they're saying he reburied it, probably couldn't afford the land, so he saved and he saved and he saved because he knew the land was much more valuable because of the treasure. You understand? Well, there's all kinds of problems with this theologically if you say that the man is us. Because then what you're saying is the treasure he's buying uh, is a salvation, (laughs) which is all kinds of problems with that. We don't buy salvation, it's freely given. And then there's all kinds of uh, implications here. Uh, But the proper interpretation most likely and most agree is, and you don't hear taught very often is, that Jesus is the man. And many times in the Bible, he calls his people his treasure. And the field still, according to all these, is what? The world. And so here's Jesus knows that he has a treasure in this world, and that treasure is us. This treasure is valuable, so valuable that he sells everything that he has so he can have that treasure. We are his treasure. We are on this earth. We are Jesus Christ sold everything because he wants to be with his treasure. It's a beautiful story. But I do like the fact that we reciprocate his love by what? Selling everything we have to be with him. And so I think there is a mutual, I don't have a problem teaching it either way. Because I think there's a mutual love that that treasure of him is so great, I'll do anything to get him. And I'm such a treasure to him, he sold everything to get me. And so this is another message about heaven is like. Heaven is like a person that knows God is a treasure and will give up everything to only have him. Praise the Lord. We all say that, but do we do it? Lord, I'll give up everything to be with you. And then he literally sold everything and emptied himself of everything, including his body to be with us. Pearl, same thing. It says a great merchant went and and was shopping for pearls, and when he found the perfect pearl, he sold everything so he could have it. And you say, well, wait a minute, I've heard that taught that we're searching for God 
and buying the pearl. Again, it's the same principle. It's a little hard to interpret that we're buying the pearl, okay? But look at this. A pearl is deep in the sea. A people is, sea always symbolizes people in parables. And this pearl is growing deep. And you know how pearl grows? From a wound. And so there's this wounded little, what do you call them? Oyster. Yeah, there we go. Here what they were. Wounded little oyster. And out of that wound, it begins to heal itself. And a pearl begins to grow. And Jesus is very clearly saying, my people, my church are growing out of this wounding of me. They're growing and they're growing and they're growing. And he is the merchant. He's shopping. He's looking. He's finding. He's trying to find the pearl of great price. He sees faith growing in us. That's the, he's talking about heaven still. And he's talking about the seed still growing. He sees through all the hurt, through all the wounds, through all the tribulation. They still love me. They're still following me. They're still serving me. And this beautiful pearl is growing. This is another way of Jesus saying, can you imagine this merchant finally gets that pearl? And man, he just looks at it. So beautiful. I mean, your whole life is pearls, okay? Now, we're not pearl people, right? We don't spend our whole life, but when you see the one, and you're just looking at it, that's how he looks at us. We're beautiful to him. He wants to be with us. He's telling us he's the merchant that found beauty in you. He wants to be with you. He's scattering seed. Remember, if you put all these together, scattering seed all over the world. He's looking for that pearl of great price. He's looking for that treasure in the field. He's looking for that wheat that has fruit in its life. All these are a picture of him looking for us. And and and, and again, I can I don't have any problem with the other either. We're searching for him. We see him as a pearl of great price. We're also mutually chasing after Him. Church, there's no way you're going to miss heaven when I'm looking for Him and He's looking for me. Now, you might have a child. I remember when I was young and I would go, every time we'd go to the store, I would intentionally get lost because I wanted to hear my name over the speaker. They would, you go to the front, I figured out, and they would say, hey, uh, Mrs. Ricketts, uh, your son is up here at the front. Remember I used to do that all the time? I'd go to the front and they'd say, hey, your son is up here, and I'd be like, yeah, that's my name. Yeah. But I can see if one is looking for one and the other one doesn't really care, you may not find. But man, when I'm looking for him, he's looking for me. He's my delight. I'm his delight. I'm his treasure. He's my treasure. He's my pearl. I'm his pearl. I'm trying to bear fruit. He's trying to produce fruit. Do you understand what's happening here? mysteries of heaven. And God wants us all to be there. Praise the Lord. Stand to your feet. Worship team. 12.07. Man, I only went seven minutes long. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. There should be some shouting in here. I was planning on going a lot longer than that. There we go. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Now the final, the seventh parable, and I'm going to close with this. Seventh parable is a great net that is cast. 
And the net is very clear in his parable. The net is the end of the age. And he says a great net is going to be cast around the entire earth. And he said there's going to be a separation of the good and the bad. Those who will inherit eternal life and those who won't. And Eddie said it earlier. I, on the way over here, God was just leading me on how to close this service. And uh, church, we're gonna, we have the luxury of, of, of having a couple of worship songs here to really contemplate. And I'm really big on contemplating your life. And so I just want to ask you today, examine yourself. Figure out whether you be in the faith, the Bible says. Examine your walk with the Lord. You know, if, if the only time you worship, like Eddie said, is at church, examine that today. Can I ask you something? If you have ears to hear today, if your house isn't a place where you worship during the day and during the evening, think about this week saying, hey, I need this to grow in my life. Play worship music while you're doing the dishes. Play worship music while you're working on the car. Worship music while you're sitting on the lawnmower. I'm talking about your faith growing because if it doesn't grow, there's no heaven. If it's not growing and it's snatched away, there's no eternal life. Examine yourself. If you study the Word, you say, well, man, I get plenty of Word every week when you're here. You might be able to survive. Your plant might survive and grow and bear fruit just listening to me. But contemplate your life. If you don't have a devotional Bible where you open up every day and grow a little bit, think about it today. Say, God, help me. Go to the Christian bookstore. Ask your pastor. I have over 2,000 books. I've got like 20 women's devotional Bibles in my library. You say, well, why are you buying women's devotional Bibles? I don't have trouble with my identity. I buy them because I think somebody might want those. And I want to give them away. Go to the Christian bookstore. Find a women's devotional, a student devotional. Students, are you listening? I can't help you get to heaven. I can only tell you how to find heaven. And you have to do it. So if you don't have a student devotional Bible, or you don't have any kind of Bible study, I'm I'm talking about five minutes. Every day at least open the Bible and have a devotional and and pray to God, help me grow fruit in my life. Pray a little bit before you go to work, go to school, before you go to bed, before a meal. Worship a little bit. Praise the Lord. You say, well, what are we going to do today? We're going to sing a song and we're going to contemplate our life. And you say, oh man, I can't do that. you got all week to have fun. Let's get the presence of God and let's grow and let's really value that plant, that faith that's growing inside of us. Just take a few moments and I'll say a word of prayer if God leads me to it. We'll close. Praise the Lord. And if you need prayer, church, the altars are open. You can pray at your seat. I'm here to lead you to the Lord. I'm here to help you find a relationship with the Lord. If you need prayer, everybody else is going to be busy praying themselves. They're not, they're, they're not worried about you coming up here. They're worried about their own lives. If you need prayer, come up here and pray with me. I'll lead you to the Lord. Maybe you've been away from the Lord. Let's get that right today. Hallelujah.
the Lord. We continue to worship. We're going to close in a word of prayer. And uh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you, Lord. Father, I thank you for your word, Lord, and your Lord, your offer of salvation, Lord God, your uh, place that you prepared for us, Lord. Father, we thank you, Lord. I pray today that your spirit would lead and guide every person that's here, Lord God, that they would trust you, they would grow in you, Lord God, they would know you, Lord, and know your voice, Lord God. Lord, bless this church, Lord God. Bless these people, Lord. Oh, yes, Lord God. In your name we pray. Everybody said, Amen.